1: destroy a hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going
3: on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we
1: just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo
4: for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch,
0: claw, up against the wall.
1: Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that
0: race line! Woohoo!
3: Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Ren of Troy Radio, episode 462. Coming to you on Wednesday, November 16th of Rivalry Week. It is finally here. USC, UCLA, your Trojans, those Bruins, the Rose Bowl, a ticket to the Pac-12 championship game. On the line, it's everything you could ask for. In year one of the Lincoln-Riley era, we're going to deep dive into the game, cover the major talking points, make our predictions, and so much more. We'll also be joined by special guest Jake Merrifield of the What's Bruin Show, a.k.a. the saboteur of this episode, for sure. As always, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. Uh, You can always email us at reinoftroyatfanside.com. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joined along with my co-host here in the Rain Joy studio in Los Angeles, Alisa Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, we are back. Uh, that clearly was the first take, and it was very good at that opening, <laughs> and we're super excited to be here. Uh, welcome to everybody in uh, the the YouTube chats. Uh, everyone's up in here, and it is it is going. We've got SJ, Tim, Randy, Josh, Kenny, Kyle, Michael, Dave, Ghoul, a million people that I'm just scrolling through that I'm not going to get everybody, and I'm glad you're here. It is a big episode um, to talk about what I think. I don't know if you agree with me, Alicia. You're going to have to tell me if you agree. I have never in my 11 years of doing this have previewed a USC football game where I think the teams were so evenly matched as this week.
4: It Never. is it is wild. Never. It is genuinely wild. Um I, I would agree. This is the most 50-50 game that I can think of in a in a long time. Uh, not just between UCLA and, and USC, but in general, just in a long time. It's it's hard to find teams that are so evenly matched in all of the same mostly areas uh it's wild absolutely wild
3: yeah i we're, we're going to talk about when we preview things like statistics uh, everything uh absolutely tit for tat uh sc will be ranked number 3 in something and ucla will be number 4 ucla will be ranked number 2 and usc is number 3 uh, inversely sc will be ranked 119th and ucla is 120th or, or whatever it is like these teams are just right there they're the same team, they're the same team, different uniforms. One's a public school and one's not. So one has to deal with the UC Regents and one doesn't. <laughs> one for sure is going to the Big Ten and one maybe, we'll see. Um, It's going to be a uh, hell of a game on, on Saturday. We're super excited uh, to talk about it and we're super excited that you guys are here to join us, uh, whether it be live on YouTube or over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to us as well, driving down the road, hopefully safely, all of that. Anyways, we got a bunch of news to get to. Let's get to it. I'm gonna starts with the college football playoff rankings. Uh, they came out on Tuesdays, right between our uh, Fallout episodes and our previews, so... We have to talk about it. Uh, the new one came out yesterday, Alicia. Number one, Georgia. Number two, Ohio State. Three, Michigan. Four, TCU. Five, Tennessee. Six, LSU. Seven is SC. Ahead of Alabama. Ahead of Clemson. Uh, Ten is Utah. And then we get the Pac-12 schools. Oregon at 12. UCLA, 16. Uh, Washington, 17. Notre Dame, USC's next opponent is 18 oregon state usc's um defeated opponent back from september is 23rd um if you were told a year ago uh, a year ago this week lincoln riley will be usc's head coach 12 months from now and the trojans and the college football playoff rankings will be ranked ahead of alabama and clemson what would have gone through your mind
4: i would have thought some incredible things had happened and and frankly some incredible things have happened at USC to to get to this point. Um some unexpected things have happened to Alabama certainly. I think that statement of fact is is partially reflective of of what Alabama has failed to do uh this season, but it's an achievement for USC just to be in these conversations. Yeah. We're we're sitting here on November 16th and we are having realistic conversations about USC in the playoff, which is mm-hmm. incredible.
3: Yeah, uh, we, we've had seasons where uh, it's September 16th, and you could talk about the – it'd be yeah. crazy to talk about the playoff, and here we are November 16th. So um, wild that SC's in the position that they are, but of course they are three places out of the playoff as it stands right now. Five, Number five, Tennessee, uh, looking to be a one-loss non-division cha- uh, non, – non-champion, non-division winner uh is still in their way uh there's the top two lost team in the country lsu at number six SC has to jump both of them in addition to one of the top four falling out of the top four to get in alicia do you think sc is still on pace legitimately to get into the playoff if they finish off the season beating ucla beating notre dame and then beating whoever they play in the pac 12 championship game if they beat ucla
4: yeah, I think that history is on USC's side at this point. The LSU question of it all is really a disaster scenario because LSU will play Georgia. And I think we expect Georgia to win that game, thus taking LSU out of the picture ahead of USC. Uh, we know that Ohio State and Michigan will play each other. So we presume one of those teams will be eliminated out of the picture from USC. Um there are disaster scenarios involving all of those teams where LSU beats Georgia, and then it's a two loss SEC champion LSU, and one loss Tennessee, and one loss Georgia non SEC champions who are all have arguments for the top four. Um, there's a scenario where Ohio State and Michigan is like a, a game that's de- decided in overtime, and then it's a whichever one wins goes on to win the Big Ten, and the one loss. Uh, of of all of that is a team that everyone still looks at and thinks is very, very strong. I think it's worse if Michigan is the winner of, the, of that game and Ohio State is the one that is being talked about as a one-loss non-champion because their schedule in general has been better and their win over Notre Dame will start to matter a lot. Um, the problem I really see realistically, though, is Tennessee – I think the other games are going to decide themselves. Teams are going to get eliminated. The problem is that Tennessee is a one-loss team whose only loss on the season will have been to Georgia at Georgia. So if you're looking at a top four, yeah, there will be a debate between – let's assume that TCU wins out. Let's assume they win the Big 12. Things change if they don't, but let's assume – if you're fighting for that last spot and it's a question of USC versus Tennessee, I think there will be very vigorous arguments about those two teams where the history is on USC side is that no one loss conference champion has ever been left out of the playoff in favor of a non-conference champion. We've seen one loss conference champions get left out under weirder circumstances where like an undefeated Notre Dame is involved we've yeah. seen conference 2018 champions Ohio State we've seen conference champions get left out because they have two losses and the other team and and like a second SEC team is a one-loss team and that time they've they've favored the the one-loss as opposed to the conference champion but if it's a question of conference champion versus non-conference champion with equal uh, uh with equal win-loss records we have not seen them make that decision yet and i for one think that in this hypothetical where USC is one out I think that the committee would be very hard pressed to leave out a USC brand with a Caleb Williams quarterback with a Lincoln Riley coach. I think if like Clay Helton was still the head coach of USC, maybe reputation would come into come into play there. If USC didn't have such a clear Heisman candidate at quarterback, then maybe they would they would be uh, second guess. I think it's pretty clear that the a one-loss Pac-12 champion with USC's resume by that point and with the personnel that they have, uh, the stars, the power that they have, I personally think that the committee would side with USC. But we don't know because we've never been sort of pressed with this well, particular scenario.
3: L- let me play the devil, devil's advocate here. Um, I think it's weird that we're talking about Tennessee and then just assuming whoever wins the game is out. The game is in That's fair. Ohio State, Michigan. like Yeah. You said that, well, Tennessee, their only loss would be to um, – Number would, one,
4: Georgia.
3: Would be to Georgia on the road. Well, if Michigan loses – their only loss would be to Ohio State on the road. That's the same thing virtually.
4: The difference with Michigan is that people are already very skeptical of their well, schedule. The difference
3: is that Tennessee beat Alabama and, and Michigan doesn't have an Alabama that's, win.
4: That's Michi- Michigan's problem right. is that Tennessee has the Alabama win and the Georgia loss and all that kind of stuff. Michigan, if you just look at the metrics for their like, strength of schedule, it doesn't stand up to, to anybody. So that's, a, that's an issue
3: yeah but to to go back to the thing about Michigan and Tennessee are there um, both s c has to get through both of them we We talk about that no one loss Pac twelve or uh, conference champ has been out however, however, um in the final rankings in twenty eighteen, Ohio State did not make it. They did not make the playoff because there were four one loss or better power five teams. And then there was an undefeated Notre Dame. That's five teams. Ohio State was not fifth in the rankings. They were sixth. Two lost Georgia was ahead of Ohio State in the rankings, which to me is the worrisome part because that tells me that there is a chance, there is a world in which, you know, Michael put in the chat, the the committee loves the extra data point of the conference champion. Yes, I think so. But the the committee has at least showed that in terms of the rankings, they might side the other way. Again, we need to see what happens the rest of the year. SC needs to win out and actually emphatically win multiple of those games to really um, make sure that there's no doubt here. full stop. stop. Uh, but I think there's a million things that could that could still happen going forward uh, the LSU do like scenario. Like is L- there.
4: Yeah. Like LSU beating Georgia. And yeah. then what do you do? I yeah. do not know.
3: <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it absolutely, uh, does get crazy, but
4: expand to to 12 teams just on the spot. If that happens,
3: uh, well, 12 teams is coming yeah. soon enough. Uh, let's talk about the other news this week. UCLA has confirmed that this will be a salad on Saturday at the Rose bowl. Uh, they are selling 70,865 tickets to a stadium that seats 91,000. That math ain't mathin. That's because it ain't mathin. Um, Some, but not all of the tarps at the Rose bowl will be removed. Um, And USC is only being given a lot of six an allotment of 6,500 tickets. So, My childhood in which I'd go to the Rose Bowl for the SC-UCLA game and SC would paint the end zones Cardinal and UCLA would paint the sidelines blue with everyone in their colors. Uh, Don't expect that to be the case because there's going to be a whole bunch of tarps in the end zone. Um, UCLA ends up, by putting those tarps on, essentially is not selling money or not selling tickets that they could have sold to USC fans. I have multiple thoughts on this one. It's dumb and stupid and take the freaking tarps off. There's demand for this game. You absolutely can sell at least 10,000 more tickets, if not more. The flip side of this, as much as I want to sit here and like bitch about SC's allotment being 6,500 for a stadium, the size of the Rose bowl. SC brings a lot on this on themselves because the allotment that SC used to give teams at the Coliseum used to be huge and it got dialed back tremendously. And now the allotment that SC gives teams is rather small. And I think this is UCLA counteracting that. Um, And it sucks because SC absolutely could take advantage of a bigger allotment. And I wish at the Coliseum, I miss the old days of sitting in section 12 with my dad over the, over the end zone. I mean, over the, uh, the tunnel, and you'd be like two sections away from the road fans and like K-State in 2001 brought all their fans and they were doing their chants two sections away. It was awesome. P. Carroll era came, they sold a million more season tickets. It pushed everything down to the side, Um, all the road fans. And I got, I get why you do that. You end up creating the, the closed in the Coliseum is more of a home hostile environment. Um, But you know, you end up with situations like this where now you're giving less home games, I mean, road seats yourselves, and now schools like UCLA can hold that against SC in a situation like this.
4: I get what you're saying. I get why people are complaining about this, but I also think there might be factors that we aren't considering here that have to do more with logistics. Sure. If you're UCLA and you've set up for a season where you're going to have tarps around the, the, you're going to close your capacity down for most of this season, for all, pretty much all of this season, um, that means that there are logistical things that that have to do with the hiring of staff to staff a a, sure. a game. So you're already going to expand your um, your normal operations by you know ten thousand tickets. Expanding it by another 20,000 tickets means you have to account for another 20,000 human beings who are going to be going into a stadium. This is why you prepare for parking, this before the season. With, well, yes, yes. But, you know, I I think there's more to it than just like sticking it to USC or anything like that. Personally, I wish they just opened the open the uh, the tarps and, and did everything possible to get as many people in that stadium as possible. Uh, but I, I also, I think they're are complications that we probably aren't privy to that are contributing to this?
3: Josh in the chat says Michael's overthinking it. UCLA just wants more Bruins in the stands and less Trojans. Well, yes, that's absolutely it. Um, and you know, SC wants the same when they're at home too, right? Like yeah. it, that's what every team wants. Yeah. Absolutely. But the
4: two, but let's be real though. There should be an agreement between USC and UCLA.
3: Yeah, So you have a that, maximum allotment for both schools. That
4: there's a, yeah, that there is a, a an agreement between both sides that X percentage of your stadium yeah. will be allotted. to And it should be higher vote. than 6,000. It should be higher than 6,000. Yes. But, yeah.
3: Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Uh, last little news nugget to get to. Uh, let's talk about uh, the injury updates. Uh, not that we have them, um, but <laughs> but Alicia, talk to me. You know, the, explain what you can best read of the tea leaves.
4: Okay, so we know Lincoln Riley isn't going to give us anything on the injury front. He did give us something on Jordan Addison. They did indicate that he would be closer to one hundred percent in this. That they he played more snaps against Cal than he was supposed to in terms of the pitch count they had him on Mm -hmm. which suggests that he is further along in terms of his health and capable of doing those snaps and, and getting through it so jordan addison we are expecting him to have no questions going into this game the other questions obviously the big questions are with eric gentry and mario williams lincoln riley was obviously asked about them and he gave a pat answer about you know, they're getting closer. They haven't been full participants in practice, but it's, it's you know, Tuesday and they're sort of figuring it out and body language experts are trying to figure out if this is like pessimistic or optimistic or will they play or will they not play, all of that kind of stuff. Um, we will not know until Saturday. That much is very, very clear. I am tending to go into this game assuming that they will both play because I think if they were 50%, they would play. And if they were being called, you know, game time decisions or if they are participating in practice this week, then short of a setback, I think that this is the kind of game that you play through any injury that you possibly have and, you know, everything else be damned. So that's the yeah. way I'm going into it. But that is my gut sort of sports psychology feeling. Um, we literally will not know until game time.
3: Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that all uh comes to be on saturday um well saturday is usc and ucla the trojans the bruins locking horns at the rose bowl which means it is time to talk about the big one let's get in one of our dearest dearest friends uh one of one of my best friends lisa one of your best friends mm-hmm. um Jake Merrifield from the What's Bruin Show. Jake, welcome to the show. Michael,
4: Hi, everybody. Welcome. Now we need to paint a picture for the for the folks yes. at, at at Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all of our uh, other air ways to get podcasts. The, the folks who are not on YouTube. <laughs> Let's paint the picture. Jake Merrifield, yes, please do. Our yes. our great friend is wearing a blue. I presume What's Bruin Show shirt.
2: No, it's UCLA. UCLA Radio. Bruins
4: yes and <laughs> a literal bear atop his head
2: um, yeah i didn't i didn't skin it myself though
4: i'm getting revenue vibes Uh, it is. it's got paws with claws it's a
3: full the, blown the teeth are are rather large yes they are yes
4: yeah. it's spectacular there's
3: it some li- little little red riding
2: hood Vibes to this thing, <laughs> but hi,
4: uh, what large teeth you have,
2: yeah. And uh, Josh Arena, yeah, yeah keep talking, buddy. I, I got claws and teeth over here. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Kyle in the chat says he's cosplaying a character from the Northmen, yes, that's that's yes. pretty much what Jake is doing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hi, Jake, thank you for coming on. Hi,
2: guys, nice to see you again. Uh, it is,
3: is good to see you. We, we just went on your show, uh, the What's brand Show, for a two part. Preview. Go listen to that over at the What's Brewing show. The first part is, um, I want to say, a therapy session for UCLA after the loss rough. to Arizona. The
1: Absolutely second part, all
3: about the SC UCLA game. So, Jake, tell us about the Bruins. What um, we, you know, we've put t- together like an eight page rundown of everything that we want to talk about on this episode. But we want to hear it from you. What what is? Um, What's up with the Bruins going into to this week? Because we, we got a question from SJ that said, do you think there's more pressure on UCLA to win this game than SC? And if UCLA does lose, do you think DTR will petition the NCAA for a ninth year of eligibility?
2: <laughs> uh, you know, just to, so in a nutshell, the UCLA season is, is kind of going like this. Um, it started off with our non-con where we didn't actually play any real uh, actual opponents, like the softest schedule, literally, in our school history. And, um, that went okay for us, but I think, uh, everybody was still really on the fence after, you know, fifth year, chip Kelly, three horrible years, one kind of mediocre year last year. And, um, he really had to kind of do a lot this year just to sort of win any fans, uh, back into his corner. And so after the non-con, you know, and that, that close scrape versus, uh, Al- uh Southern Alabama, who, which turned out to be a decent team, but at the time we didn't know that. Um, Everybody was still very like, eh, what's going on with this team? And then uh, the Pac-12 season starts, and, and they launch like a rocket ship, beat up Washington. Uh, and then they, they have the setback versus the Ducks. But, you know, you could kind of explain that with being a road game and all that stuff and everything going into that. And the season was just going hunky-dory, just like you guys. We were super happy to be here right up until we ran into that brick wall uh, against the freaking uh, Wildcats. And now, um, as you know, last night on our show, I, I, I'm in a full – I've been in like four days of despair – uh, I'm trying to to pull myself up for the Crosstown showdown uh, because obviously you know this game just always means something, but uh, it certainly is has been lessened uh, given the fact that the, the Bruins strike out once again uh, in a big moment. So um, uh, as far as the the fan base goes, I think it's still kind of very very divided. There's people that I don't think Chip Kelly will ever win back. Um, there's others that you know, kind of like uh, our show is where we're kind of like, well he's got a little better every year, and this year certainly. Arizona notwithstanding has been a spectacular year with some spectacular performances. And so we're willing to kind of let's see where it goes. Um, and as far as the stakes of this game and will the Bruins be up for it, that's really my main question. I assume they will. I think they, they've shown in the past, especially guys like DTR have shown that they are super pumped for this game. But if they lose this game, like my worst case, darkest timeline for the Bruins is they lose this game then they go up to Cal the day after Thanksgiving on just it's going to be you think there's not very many people at the Rose Bowl there's like less people at Memorial especially for that game the day after Thanksgiving they yeah. lose that game DTR Zach Charbonnet they go to the NFL after that we don't have them for you know for for the bowl game and all of a sudden you know you lose what would that be three four in a row to end the season that's that's how bad it could get if they uh, lay an egg versus uh, the men of Troy which I'm hoping they don't do
3: yeah I I can't see that happening honestly I, I can't see Um, UCLA doing that. I think we can talk about the Bruins having a no-show problem with the Arizona game, Um, whether or not you want to call it a no-show or just not playing up to expectations. Whatever. Um, you You can say the Arizona game, you can say the South Alabama game, but this is a rivalry game. This is the the game that you know historically. This is UCLA Super Bowl, right? This is this is the big moment. I don't think that. Just because UCLA loses um, a chance to go to the go to the playoff if they put everything together, that that takes everything anything else away. UCLA hasn't won a conference championship in 24 years, so like there's still a lot of stuff. And I'm I'm not just bringing that up to, to dig on you, Jake. Like seriously, like legitimately, there's still so much to play for for the Bruins here. I can't imagine a no show. This isn't a situation where DTR is hurt. Zach Charbonnet is hurt. This is a, this is still a team that is absolutely loaded. Zach Charbonnet, 10 straight games with uh, over 100 yards from scrimmage, 150 rushing yards in four straight games that he's played. Uh, that includes a one game off against ASU, which he didn't play. But the dude is incredible. Ball, man. The, the nation's leading um, yard from scrimmage gainer in
2: the country. There's no reason to think that UCLA – no shows, right? The only reason I bring it up is that the last time they won the conference championship was in uh 98. And that season is when they had their, the last loss that was kind of on this magnitude. We were talking about it last night. And yeah. as a scarred Bruin fan, I remember the next game after that, which was a repeat of the, the horrible game against Miami. And so look, I, if you ask me, do I think the Bruins are going to show up flat? I don't think so, but I'm saying if things go horribly wrong for them, it is it is, if you would ask me a week ago are they going to show for this flatgate for this game flat i'd say 0.0%. now it's a non-zero chance and that's does kind of worry me.
4: yeah i mean the thing that that it comes down to for me is that this offense and this defense kind of mirrors what we've seen from usc's offense and usc's defense i i actually think it was it was just kind of hilarious that um the same week that USC was having trouble with Arizona, or sorry, it was against uh, Cal, UCLA was having a literally identical game against Arizona State, and so there the parallels between these teams are huge. So if we assume that both of these teams come in fired up, if we assume that both of these teams come up, come in prepared and ready to go and and play at their at their top speed, there's going to be some offense. <laughs> there's going to be some offense going on in this game. So what have you seen from DTR? What have you seen from Zach Charbonnet and the, the overall UCLA offense that has taken them from, I think we've looked at them as a a good, but not great offense or maybe an inconsistent offense in past seasons where suddenly this sudden, this looks like a chip Kelly elite level offense. What is the difference?
2: hundred percent is DTR because Zach Charbonnet was really, really freaking good last year. Um, and the Bruin offense has really uh, ebbed and flowed with how good of a decision maker D.T.R. is and the type of plays he makes. And there's been moments early in his career. I know uh, you know I, I'm looking at your chat thread and you know all the jokes about him being on Social Security and stuff. And yeah, he's been there a long freaking time, right? Uh, and early in his career, he was at his best, really, really good. Like when they scored like 70 points in the fourth quarter against Washington State that one game. But at his worst, he was fumbling the ball, you know, four times in a game and and giving the other team you know 28 points um we haven't seen that bad of a dtr in a couple years but even last year he still you know his biggest problem last year was that he got hurt a couple times and so he wasn't able to really put down uh, the stats in every game and and that was the knock on him this year he's been healthy pretty much the whole year he sat out a couple series here and there um and they've been a little conservative with him here and there but you really can't say anything but good things about his performance um i guess the one you could probably chip away was that was this last game against Arizona, but that was more of a team-wide thing other than Charbonnet. Um, so it's really DTR is, I think, the key that unlocks so much of this offense. With that uh, being said, Zach Charbonnet is their bona fide, like, it's, Charbonnet's probably their best player just because he is an unstoppable force. Um, but it, I think it's DTR.
4: Yeah, I mean, that that's certainly what I have seen in the, in the limited amount that I've watched UCLA. It's DTR not making the same kind of mistakes that he had in the past. So I guess my question is, even watching the Arizona game and watching what I did of the Oregon game, I didn't see the DTR experience level mistakes from him. But UCLA still lost those games. So in those losses, what, was, what, what happened? Where, where did things go wrong for UCLA against Oregon and against uh, Arizona? Just uh, across the board. Because I'm honestly struggling to figure it out. Like I've identified against Oregon settled for field goals and against Arizona I still don't understand just couldn't keep up but that doesn't make sense cuz you got the horses to keep up so where did things go wrong in those games
2: so I think there are two very distinct reasons separate and distinct distinct reasons uh, the the Oregon game uh, number one a big part of that I think was going up to Otsen and the uh, you know playing on that hostile environment and then as the game started to unfold they were kind of going toe to toe with Oregon and everything was going well. And then that onside kick happened. They steal the possession. And then further than that, going into the half, they weren't able to get any scores. And uh Lanning, I'll just say he, you know, in, in that particular game, he he outcoached, outmaneuvered Kelly uh, in all of those kind of key moments. And then combined that with the Bruins not being able, even though they were very efficient in that game, they weren't as efficient as they have been in other games. And they Got too many threes, not enough sevens, and they just couldn't kind of keep up with Oregon, who kind of everything that was a game for Oregon where kind of everything that could go right went right for them. And it wasn't an everything went wrong for the Bruins in that game. It was just enough things went wrong going up against a white hot team that it, yeah. got, it got kind of sideways on them. So I really wasn't worried about that game, and I was hoping that if, you know, we could have held a bargain to the bargain and ended up with a rematch against Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, I thought, you know, they wouldn't be favored in the game, but they would have a very good chance of of pulling one out. The Arizona game to me is entirely, it was entirely just that team came out flat as a pancake on offense. They, uh, you know, they didn't score. The first, on, the, on their first possession. They didn't score going into the half. They didn't score coming out of the half. They didn't score on two freaking uh, uh, chances at the end of the game. And that's just unacceptable. You know, uh, the defense wore it so hard the last couple of weeks against ASU and Arizona. But, I mean, in my opinion, the defense is doing exactly what they've been doing all year, and that, that performance wasn't really any worse than anything else. You know, uh, I know we'll talk about it later, but if the defense could be a little better in the red zone, then I'd take it otherwise they're kind of doing what we expect them to do. The offense has to perform and they didn't against Arizona. And a big part of that was, uh, you know, and I, you know, once again, refs in your chat, you know, the guys are saying that DTR was kind of a train wreck at the end. He wasn't the train wreck that he's been in the past, but he just wasn't making the big plays. He didn't make any spectacular plays. And um, you you know, I I thought that they didn't manage the game well and they were flat and that opened the door for a, a wildly inferior team to beat them. And it was a shame because all of the contenders in the Pac-12, we talked about this yesterday. All of them struggled early. I mean, nobody had a worse quarter of football than SC did last week in their first quarter against Col- uh, the first quarter against Colorado. Yeah. But yeah. Then what happened? You know, they blow the doors off them. UCLA, they never got it going. You know, and and that's a shame because they should have.
3: Yeah. To to switch things over and talk about the defense, uh, we got a question uh, from Dave in Orange County. How comfortable? Do you feel now that Clancy Pendergast is running the Bruin defense? Um, I'm terrified. If this, is, if this is news to anybody, uh, he is now the act. Yes, that same Clancy Pendergast. Yeah, I I know that guy. That guy you're thinking of. That dude uh, is now UCLA's acting defensive coordinator because Bill McGo- McGovern um, is not a wall, but he's um, he's not. He, he's not around at the moment unavailable. Of doing with yeah. he's unavailable. there you go. He is the shrug emoji yeah, yeah his his status is just very up in the air. Uh, we understand it's a health thing. obviously we hope that 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 goes uh well, but he hasn't been at practice, and Clancy is the defensive coordinator, and yeah, this is a UCLA defense that's um much like sc's defense the the stats that are good are mediocre and the stats that are bad are horrifically bad. Um, I think the, the interesting things you mentioned, the, the red zone side of things, and yeah, UCLA defensively, 121st in red zone conversions, 106th in oh, red yeah. zone touchdown uh, rates, 101st in points per drive, 126th in fourth down conversions. Those are the pivotal moments in the game. Um, and so to go to Dave's question, knowing that that's where UCLA's defense has been year long. How do you feel now that Clancy Pendergast is the one sort of calling the place?
2: You know, uh, if you just said like in a vacuum, Oh, you're going to switch out your defensive coordinator that nobody had heard of before, you know, last April. And then we're all like, Oh my God, they just hired a clone of the last old guy that they, that they that, that, that Chip Kelly had for four years. And then he turned out to be a pleasant surprise at the beginning of the season. Um, and then you said, oh, we're going to place him with Clancy Pendergast, knowing that we know you know, from his career throughout the Pac-12, I would say uh, I am terrified and not super thrilled about it. But with that being said, you know, I said it just a few minutes ago, I haven't really been upset with the defensive performance against in the last couple of games. Against ASU, they got plenty of stops, and then they got put in a horrible situation in the second half where DTR and uh, they had a fumble exchange error, uh, put the ball on the ground, and then had a three and out. And the defense ended up being on the field for, you know, probably two thirds of the second half and they gave up some points. But like I said, the bar for this defense is not super high. It's just, yeah. just be mediocre and then let the offense do its thing. And um so far with Clancy, I think he's been calling three games now, uh, I believe. Uh, And I haven't seen a real big change uh, in how the defense has performed. So I would have been worried about it, but it looks like they're, The same as they were yeah at this point you would think the system is is the system right um i am looking forward to a formation where like there's like nobody with their hands down because i know know, on the ground you know i I I know know (laughs) i I, one of my one of my favorite clancy pendergast um
3: games uh the vegas bowl against fresno state sc ran a 155 uh defense that (laughs) entire game Ah, uh, one yeah. dude on the on with his hand in the dirt, and there was George Uco on the defensive line, and everybody else was standing up, uh, and they completely shut down, uh, the uh, the 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 car. Which, Derek, Derek Carr. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anyways, we did get a question from Eric that says, "Curious on Jake's insights of having a dedicated special teams coach or splitting that yeah. responsibility." Both SC and UCLA do not fare well, particularly well, um, as special teams. Uh, teams in general, um, UCLA is ranked 84th in in SP plus special teams don't have SC's rank in front of me, but I think it's in the hundreds. This has been a problem with SC. We talked about it on your show last night. Uh, What are your thoughts on having a dedicated coach or splitting it up?
2: Uh, Number one, I think um, UCLA special teams has suffered in that it's had two really horrible games, but then a few games that were Either mediocre or pretty good, depending on what unit you're looking at. Uh, just, just to kind of break it down into parts, their field goal unit is just barely mediocre. I mean, the the, the guy is missing a lot of kicks. Um, he had a hot streak for in the middle of the season, uh, but now, uh, you know, I, I don't trust him outside of about 40 yards. And it's fine because Chip Kelly doesn't like to, you know, he likes to go on fourth down anyway. So it hasn't really been a factor the last month or so. Um, they're the they're probably. The first game of the season, and this is kind of like I think everybody saw this play, even all your fans. Um, they had a punt blocked at the Rose Bowl by Bowling Green. It was the most blocked. It was the most blocked punt in history. Of <laughs> Rose Bowl, I think. Like no one's ever blocked a punt better than that. I mean, the guy you know completely took the ball off the guy's hands and, and just destroyed it, or off his foot, I should say. Um, but since then, everything's been pretty good. They're they're actually they they're punt per games they only punted like twice a game basically but uh their punting game has been pretty good their coverage has been pretty good they haven't really let a, a long kick uh, a long return go at all and their return game has actually been really good in that they've got numerous uh they've almost broke a couple one got um one they had a they had to get Casmaral uh, allen i get tripped on it uh, for him to not score but he's got multiple uh returns to midfield so i think that the Bruton special teams this year is better than that rating, but it's not like spectacular if that makes any sense. And so as far as like having a special teams coordinator, uh, I don't know if um, it's made that big of a difference. The guy that's our special teams coordinator is also like our inside linebackers coach. So I don't really know exactly how much dedicated time there is uh, one yeah. way or the other, but they have, but I will say their special teams are better this year with the exception that they don't have as good of a kicker, but they're they're better this year than they've been in the past.
3: Yeah. And we've said it before, like, People, when uh, John Baxter was SC's uh, special teams coach, people hated how much time SC devoted to doing special teams. But now that SC doesn't have a special teams coach, suddenly it's like, well, why aren't they so, yeah. doing this? And yeah. it's, yeah, yeah. You, you can't win either way. the, the What's going to win you things is just to be good enough not to, to get the criticism. And SC certainly could be better. Sounds like UCLA could be better in that aspect too. But uh Kaz Allen is certainly a danger man uh for the ruins um uh assuming that he's able to play he missed the Arizona game but uh last question for you Jake before we send you on your merry way um you've, you've got oh, you,
1: you
3: you you've <laughs> got to like dry clean that thing before you take it to the Rose Bowl and, yeah no kidding yeah and, and then you got to get nice. it all nice and spiffy so so Josephine is uh still interested that's right um yeah. <laughs> prediction uh, you, you gave a prediction on your show tell us tell our listeners uh, how you're feeling going into saturday and uh, lay out your prediction for us
2: okay well uh I, i'm trying to remember the exact score i think i have it in my head but um i'll, I'll lay it on you but I really, uh, I can see two scenarios in this game. I can see a scenario where the Bruins do come out a little flat. They're deflated. It's just like 98 all over again. I'm reliving a nightmare. And um, if they come out like that, I think the Trojans blow the doors off them. I don't think that's the way it's going to go. Uh, just knowing what I know about these players in this particular year. Um, uh, and I think they're going to bounce back with a good performance. And I think they're going to be, hopefully get the get the A game out of them. Now, you know, you don't know how the, the breaks are going to, you know, the lucky breaks are going to go. But I think that, you know, when you take these two teams that have two amazing, just blistering offenses uh, that have shown times where they cannot be stopped uh, and don't make a whole lot of mistakes, uh, quite frankly, neither either side. um, I think that's kind of a, an even matchup there, but I think that UCLA's special teams are a little better. So there might be a return that goes that puts us in better position or, you know uh, you know, something like that might happen. Uh, I'm crossing my fingers, right? No, no block kicks. Um, And I think that our defense is marginally better, especially if, you know, Gentry's not back. Uh, You know, our defense is, you know, we're missing one of our really good defensive backs. I think he might play. That's Blaylock. I'm not sure if he is or not. But um, we're our unit is pretty much our defensive unit is pretty much the same unit. It's been all year. And so uh, I think that they're a little better than SCs, especially with the injuries. And so I think that uh, the Bruins are going to win the game. I, uh, you know, uh, based on all the, the projections out there, Bill Connolly has him as a half point favorite in the game. And I think mm-hmm. another projection has him as a half point dog. Talk about the Bruins. Yeah. Um, so my final score is going to be UCLA at the Rose Bowl. they are going to defeat the mighty men of Troy. 45 and a half, to 35 and a half. Book it. I don't know how you're going to get to the score, but that's what it's going to be. <laughs> awesome.
3: We yeah. we love you, Jake. Uh, thank you for, for coming on uh it, it is is it blast we got to do this more often now that we we finally figured out that we can we can do it yeah people in here
2: <laughs> it's awesome. come on all right well thank you for having me obviously you guys are two of my closest friends as well i love you both dearly and i love all your listeners you guys are pretty awesome i'm not high josh arena i take that as a personal <laughs> offense but you've been nice to me in the chat though thank you you're a good sport too uh but guys thank you very much and yeah I'm i'm available anytime have me back
3: all right we will indeed see you later man that was fun yeah jake uh jake as always uh is is the best and uh yeah go go listen to uh the what's brewing show and the uh, two parts but really it was like four hours of (laughs) podcasting it was it was so much fun Lisa, you know the only good thing about football season being over?
4: There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall.
3: See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait.
4: That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome.
3: Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks.
4: So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins.
3: Bingo. You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn ten bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Price Picks lets you get on the action on more than thirty states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That
4: sounds pretty good to me.
3: Yeah, download the app today and use the code Rain of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100.
4: That's the Price fix app with the code Rain of Troy for the first deposit match of up, up to $100.
0: Pick more. Pick less. It's that easy. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
3: Alicia, let's let's continue talking talk about this game before we get to over under. I I want to know your thoughts on the matchup as, as it stands right now. Obviously, this is an elite offense going up against an a bad defense and another another elite offense going up against another bad defense, but how how do you how do you see it? How do you, how do you put it all together?
4: It as we said earlier, to me, every every time I take a, a closer look at this matchup, it just feels more and more 50-50. And, you know, the fact that SP Plus, that Bill Connolly, whose numbers I, I tend to respect, has it as a 50-50 matchup pretty much locks that in for me. Yeah. Um, I think that USC's offense has a higher ceiling than UCLA's offense, but I think UCLA's defense is better on its day than USC's defense. Um, and I think that's why any advantage that I want to give to USC on the offensive side, just knowing that Caleb Williams is just a like a generational talent. Um, you, you sort of counterbalance that with, yeah, UCLA's defense isn't great, but they aren't as prone to utter collapse the way that USC's defense has been in the last few weeks. And we don't know if Eric Gentry is going to play. Mm -hmm. And if he does play, we don't know at what level he's going to be able to play. There's just a lot of questions for USC's defense in this game. Um, This is why I continue to say it comes down to which offense doesn't make the mistake. Um, That is, I mean, you, you look at all of these, all of these numbers, they all come back to the offense is the offense is the offense evenly matched the defense, the defense, the defense evenly matched. So who comes away with this and, and doesn't make that mistake who comes away with this and, you know, doesn't have the receivers drop passes the way that Brendan Rice drop passes. Um, yeah. Doesn't have the special teams mishap that could absolutely determine this game. Um. It doesn't really, it just, it really just comes down to that to me.
3: Yeah. It's going to come down to literally every play. It feels like this game will. Um, and you know, we, we talk about the numbers being close. Literally. I have them. I mean, written you have out them right out- now. Yeah. we uh, so just Go down the line. Th- th- these are on the offensive numbers. Um, SP plus SC seventh, UCLA fourth, FEI offense, SC third, UCLA six, um, Yards per play fourth versus third points per drive, third versus fourth available yards, fourth versus second uh, plays generating, generating four plus yards, fifth versus second plays generating, generating seven plus yards, third versus ninth plays generating 10 plus yards, seventh versus second opportunity rate first versus third. Like everything is in the top 10 on offense. And so that would come down to, okay, well, which defense stands up? And I think that one of the conversations that we had uh, over on the What's Bruin show, and, and you've, you've alluded to too, Alicia, is like, is it going to be which defense steps up or is it going to be which offense cracks? Yeah. And I, I really do think that it might be the combination of the two, and I know that's sort of a cop-out, but I've been going through these numbers that, and trying to find anywhere where there's sort of an edge, and there isn't an edge anywhere. Um, I, I I wrote down here that both defenses can be horrendous uh, in in key situations. Well, UCLA is worse uh, in in key situations. 126 in, in red zone conversions, but SC is 102nd. UCLA 121st in in defensive red zone conversions. That's bad. SC is 18th, seemingly consistently better. But when you talk about touchdown rate, it's 106 versus 89th. Right, like. The the red zone conversion number, the 121st against USC being 18th, that to me is the biggest discrepancy of anything. And if the result is that SC is able to get touchdowns and maybe force UCLA to a field goal or two, if that is the difference of this game, I wouldn't be shocked because both teams are excellent on third down defensively. They've had identical red zone opportunities, but the difference – sort of being the touchdown rate. You go back to the other thing about, we have talking about turnovers so much this year. SC was forcing so many turnovers over on, I mean, early on, but the one consistent thing that they haven't done through 10 games is turn the ball over themselves. Only two turnovers in 10 games, which is insane. I'm sorry. I'm not counting the onside kick. No, as a turnover. it's sort of bullshit. Um, so two, two turnovers. In, in ten games, insane. Even if it's three, that's still insane. UCLA, to their credit, is not turning over the ball much. Uh, in terms of giveaways, uh, they're twenty second in the country. They've only given up eleven turnovers, but they're not forcing any. Well, and, that's- and, and to me, it's the combination of that two things that make me lean sort of to SC sometimes when I'm looking at this and like, well, they're not forcing turnovers. And the red zone conversion stuff is just so bad.
4: Yeah, I will 100% agree. And and I've spent a lot of time talking about how evenly matched both of these teams are. And so you have to really dig deep to find the differences between the two. And I think on offense, it's very clear it's UCLA's running game um, that, is, that is superior to USC's uh, USC's running game. Um, because Zach Charbonnet is who he is, and Chip Kelly is way more, you know, willing to use his running backs than uh, than Lincoln Riley apparently is. Yeah. On defense, it's very much UCLA's running defense is actually somewhat stout, somewhat reliable. Um, where USC's is absolutely not. But the big difference is that USC has been turnover machines on defense. They have they have created the critical sort of havoc plays that that have that has allowed them to come away from at least the first six games with really respectable looking uh, lines, as far as the points, points allowed. UCLA's defense across the board. This is why I say UCLA has an edge on defense because they're less likely to give up the yards. They're less likely to give up the drives. They're less likely to give up those sort of basic in between things on defense but like the
3: results but, but have the, been very similar. The, the less likely is so negligible though. Yeah. It, I you, mean, you talk about the yards and available yards. UCLA is 90th, is 92nd. Like they're yeah. right there.
4: Well, and, and UCLA is 101st in points per drive and USC is 87th. So, like, yeah, USC defensively. Is, yeah. yeah. Defensively. USC is letting teams drive on them, but USC is better at getting a negative outcome even though somebody is driving at them. So, these kinds of things are sort of a philosophical defense of uh, philosophical differences between the two teams, but it's also very difficult too, because UCLA philosophically has a new DC who's calling plays for them. And that might, I don't know. I, it's its hard because the games that we've seen from the Clancy Pendergast run haven't necessarily told us where the difference is in, in these teams. So I, it, I'm not even sure what my point (laughs) was about this whole going down this whole thing. It's really just like, if I want to give an edge, it's that if it comes down to like probabilities, right? So I think the reason I continue to give USC the slightest edge is like, if you force me to choose the probability who has the higher probability of making the game winning play, I will side with Caleb Williams. And on the defensive side, if you have to force me to decide like who has the bigger probability of like creating the game changing negative play, it's USC's defense to a certain point. Yeah. But all of that is contingent on those moments coming good and USC taking advantage of those moments. And we can look at the numbers all we want. We can look at, you know, probabilities and, and, and all of this. But that doesn't mean that just because USC like, Defensively, we will assume has like a is seventy five percent more likely to create the big red zone stop that they need to win the game. That doesn't mean that they will create the big red zone red zone stop. To to, it, it comes down to it, like you said, individual plays, individual moments, and that is the you know what's what is the difference between USC being undefeated this year and not? It came down to one play. Yeah, it came down to one play the two-point conversion, or any other play before that to prevent that touchdown, their fourth down, play, the the, four, their fourth down plays that they didn't get the job done, all of those things, that is ultimately what cost USC. So it can come down to one play, and if it comes down to one play, then it's still, for me, no matter what probabilities you put out there, if it comes down to one play, it's a 50-50 shot of who makes the play. And
3: can you imagine if, if Utah doesn't score on the fourth down play? Like, yes, the if they don't score in the, the two-point conversion too, but they don't score on the fourth down even better because SC wins that game by a full touchdown. I think it looks better mm-hmm. uh, on the eye test.
4: Or what if there isn't a holding call on the return sure, that really but, but ground puts then USC gets in a field right. goal range. And yes, they, you know. but I'm talking about
3: one play. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. play, they make the fourth down stop, and I, I think that it's crazy how that one play has – the the domino effect from all of that is is nuts but it's insane yeah
4: but before we get into over under and that under, one play could come in the first quarter we don't first second third yeah. fourth quarter will matter in this game
3: yeah and and hopefully if uh and if it does come in the first first half and involves someone's knee down hopefully the inter, the uh the The reviews of the Rose Bowl will be working this time. That would be an important thing. No, but the.
4: And I hate to say it too, like this game could come down one side or the other. It could come down to the one call that goes against one team. It just.
3: Two points I want to make before we get to over under. One, as as much as I keep going, well, to, to go off the Clancy Pendergast thing, what do we know about Clancy Pendergast's defense? He likes to shut down one thing over anything else. Yes. That is his mo, and he will it's uh he he's gonna take his chance about what he shuts down. I think realistically he is not gonna do what you think in the sense that if you look at this team s c without travis die, it makes logical sense to drop eight, drop all those guys back, force Caleb williams to stay in the pocket for 8 million years and get coverage sacks and try to bottle up the receivers, especially if Jordan Addison just now getting back to 100%. We don't know what the situation is with Mario Williams. The other guys are, are, are young and, and realistically unproven compared to Jordan Addison and, 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 and that kind of stuff. So draw, defend the pass, drop eight. That's what you should be doing. I don't think there's a chance in hell That's what Clancy Pendergast does. I think Clancy Pendergast looks and says, this is a team that is, you know, number one in opportunity rate, USC. Statistically, one of the best rushing teams in the country on a per-play basis when they actually run the ball. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to go all in on taking that away, seeing that Travis Dye is out, and that's going to mean potentially more uh, corners out on Island's it's going to potentially mean um, trying to force SC to get something out of Austin Jones, if anything, and open up the passing game. And opening up the passing game, I think, makes better space for Eliq Brown, makes better space for all of those receivers who are just waiting for their breakout game. Uh, another one, uh, your Michael Jackson, the thirds, your Kyle Ford's. Turn Mario nothing. Williams, if he comes back, like, all of those guys, I think it would be a huge mistake if Clancy Pendergast goes all in on shutting down SC's run and forcing SC to pass because we saw what happened against Utah, We saw what happened against Arizona. Yes, SC lost that Utah game, but SC, even as a pass-only one-dimensional team, is extremely dangerous. Flip it to the Oregon State game, where they had to run the ball and were a one-dimensional team on the run and couldn't throw, then suddenly everything sort of crumbles, right? So, well, it's it's the
4: same calculation that that USC is going to have to make against UCLA, yes,
3: which which leads me to my second point that I I spent the whole year looking at this and 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 thinking, oh my god, SC look at what so-and-so has done to SC. What is DTR going to do? DTR is faster. DTR is, you know, he's now in his 34th season as, as UCLA's quarterback. Like, he's more seasoned and all these things. He's he's more developed. What is he going to do if Jaden Dolara could do this? What is DTR going to do? And I've sort of overlooked Zach Charbonnet um, <sighs> because SC hasn't played anybody Nearly as good as Zach Charbonnet. SC has not faced a a a rusher on the level of Zach Charbonnet. Zach Charbonnet, why are we not talking about him in the Heisman race? Seriously, four straight 150-yard rushing games. He's rushed for 100 yards in seven of eight games. The only two games he hasn't have been teams called A states, like he, he has incredible he
4: in in the games he's played and he's missed some because of injury he's had one where he didn't rush for 100 yards just one it was against south southern alabama and he had 78 yards six yards of carry in that game so it's not like he had a bad game yeah it's it's absurd how you're right it's absurd that he's not being talked about the reason he's not being talked about the heisman race is because a ucla B. He's been injured at times, and C. Because DTR is the guy getting the headlines. But like yeah. you're right, he is the danger man. He is the Josh Kelly who could absolutely. And just we've seen make...
3: what, what happens with with. Well, that, and right? we
4: know what Chip Kelly. We know Chip Kelly is willing, right? Like this. This is the thing: is that if Chip Kelly has a <laughs> running back, <Yeah. laughs> has, a, has a running back like Charbonnet, he's willing to just throw him out there and and yeah. and and and, cr- and crush you with him. Which is why I think it's interesting the calculation that USC will have to go into with. We know USC's rush defense is not strong. And part of the problem, the big problem here for USC is it's not, not strong because they emphasize shutting other things down. It's not strong because the linebacker in defensive line play is terrible against the run.
3: They also haven't played a team that is willing to potentially run the ball as much as the Bruins. Uh, They, when they played Utah, this is not the Utah team that is all about winning the run the, run run the, Yeah, the, yeah it's, this is not the run 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 utah the that, rising show yeah it's the cam rising show who he's going to scramble and that's going to be similar to dtr absolutely yeah but they don't have a zach charbonnet on on their roster this year
4: but this is why like it's strange that i will still come into this game agreeing with you that like all season i just looked at it and went like the man dtr what is dtr going to do to this team what is dtr yeah. going to do this team I think if you're USC, you have to sell out to stop the run. Number one, sell out to stop the run. Number two, every single person in Cardinal and Gold on that field all night against UCLA must have this one thing in their head. The play you make is to keep people in front of you. Mm -hmm. Do not let DTR step up and scramble. Do not let you – like – I would give up all the yards I possibly could i, I would i would I would sacrifice the yards to just keep everything in front of me. Don't pass rush aggressively around the edges. don't don't you know aggressively attack the line of scrimmage. Sit back, tackle well, and don't let them get behind you like that is that's the number one thing because d t r is very, very good. He is better than he's ever been. But the fact of the matter is, if you have to choose where you're going against this UCLA offense, the smart thing is still: if we're going to lose, DTR is going to beat us with his arm. So that's it.
3: I I was watching the uh, the Cover Three podcast talk about the Arizona game, and Zach Charbonnet rushed for like 181 yards in that game, and they were making the argument: if you're Arizona, who cares? Yeah, let let Charbonnet get all the yards he can. If that slows UCLA down and forces them to be more methodical, you force UCLA into being less explosive. And it just makes me wonder, is that the move for SC? Is to give them the run and then defend the pass?
4: I mean, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I mean, not that
3: you want to give away anything because UCLA is surely capable of beating you either way. But I, I don't know. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. I, to, I, to see.
4: I I would almost don't sell out against anything, maybe is is sort of what I'm saying. It's just like keep the keep them in front of you. Like if, if yes. Charbonnet wants five yards of carry, that's I, I would take that so long as you're not giving him twenty yard runs. Like if well, if, if DTR wants to scramble yard for runs. five yards, I'm perfectly fine with that. So long as you're not letting him scramble for thirty. Like limit big plays that should be the 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 philosophy and of course this is where USC gets into trouble because saying that is a lot different than doing that because that requires right. your linebackers to be in position and it requires your defenders to make tackles and you know
3: yeah you, yolo you say limit big big runs and you, you mentioned 20 yard runs uh UCLA only three teams in the country have, have had more 20 yard runs than the Burns UAB Florida State and, and Ole Miss uh, and then, if you go to. They have 14 uh, 30, 30
0: yard runs. 30 yard
3: runs, still only three teams are better than that uh, Kansas, TCU, and UAB. So. They have
4: twice as many 30 yard runs as anyone else in the Pac 12.
3: Yes. So. And may, twice maybe as many 40 let yard let run runs either. as
4: anybody else in the Pac well,
3: All well, of this yeah. terrifying. This, this yeah. is a, a terrifying offense for FCC. Tackle, FC to, tackle, to up
4: tackle, tackle. The whole week, I would have just had them doing tackling drills, like just tackling <laughs> drills constantly.
3: Yes. All right, let's go to over-under.
2: So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to
3: take. I'm going to do an under here. It is a big week for over-under, of course. I have a huge lead. I'm now up. i got 38 over-under wins. You're at 32. What is your first over-under line of the SCUCLA week?
4: Okay, I've learned some lessons from last week. I am still going on like season highs, but I'm Uh pulling back from what the season high is. I'm looking at Jake Bobo receiving yards. Jake Mm -hmm. Bobo is uh, UCLA's wide receiver who every time we watch him feels like he's a tight end.
3: Can can I make a confession? Yes. I made this on the What's Brown Show. I spent the entire year watching UCLA football thinking that Jake Bobo was a tight end.
4: Every time I've seen them play, I feel like they use him the way that they would always use their, like, their their tight end, like Caleb uh, Dolchich or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. Dolchitz and and, uh, Caleb Caleb Wilson Wilson and all those guys. So he's not a tight end. He's a wide receiver, but it feels like it. So uh, he had a season high of 142 receiving yards against Washington. Mm hmm but that was only one of two 100 plus receiving yards game for him games for him so like he hasn't been high volume in terms of of yards he had 101 against Oregon so i'm setting the line at 125.5 receiving yards for Jake Bobo taking into account that despite the Dalton Kincaid performance and despite <laughs> what Dorian Singer and uh and and um Arizona's other uh um wiley did usc actually hasn't let a singular receiver really like eat them up very much this season uh dorian singer had 141 yards uh against usc but like except for kincaid that really hasn't been the mo guys aren't getting like the 150 yard performance from from a singular receiver so it's, I think it's going to be really interesting. Does Jake Bobo go off or does he not? Does USC have an answer for him or do they not? So 125.5 receiving yards for Jake Bobo.
3: I think it's over. Taking the over? Okay. I think this is easily over. I think if, you know, I I mentioned the stupid thing about, the, about Bobo being a tight end, but realistically, he's someone who can beat you um, all over the field, which is a testament to what a tight end can do in which he can be lined up inside. Right. And so I think you can put Bobo inside and attack just like Kincaid eight, and he's going to be able to attack differently than Dorian singer. Um, and, and all those Arizona guys. Um, But I, yeah, I, I it's going to be like a buck over. 40. could see a buck 40 for Bobo. The, the dude is, He has like big game against SC written all over him. I I I see.
4: The thing is, big game against SC could be 110 yards. So like, I'm actually very happy with it. Could be just the big moments. Yeah. Sure. Yeah.
3: Sure. Uh, Yeah. But give me give me the over there. Uh, Mine is going to be over under 173 and a half. Zach Charbonnet rushing yards. That sounds insane, but uh, hear me out. Uh, why is it 173? Well, against ranked teams, he's averaging 157.5, 124 against Washington, 198 against Utah, 151 at Oregon. If you average that with his average of the last two games, Stanford and Arizona, in which he had 198 against Stanford again, and then 181 against Oregon, sorry, 181 against Arizona, you end up with a 173.5. So that's my line. Averaging what he's done against ranked teams and in the last two games, 173 yards for Zach Charbonnet over-under.
4: I hate this line so much. I hate it so much.
3: It's a lot of yards.
4: That's so many yards, but also USC's defense is so USC's defense. I'm taking the under because I'm feeling optimistic. Okay. Okay in the sense that I think UCLA has a lot of guys who can eat. And so the yards that they get, I think, again, it's going to be like a Bobo situation where like Zach Charbonnet could feast with 150 yards. It's still not 173. He could also get 250. I've seen that before. Yeah. So it's, it's not like it couldn't happen, but I think, I think that USC has a lot of reason to, put some emphasis on not letting Charbonnet be the one that, that beats them.
3: Um, yeah. Well, they could so go under if Kaz Allen does play, he could end up getting some, yeah. some carries. I mean, against ASU 11 carries 137 yards. Yeah. Um, he kind of takes that uh, Demetric Felton role that, uh UCLA is like to use where it's like a so, sort of like a Tyreek Hill, like yeah. He's a running back, but could be a receiver, but he's a running back, yeah. but like like Debo Samuel kind of situation too. Yeah. Um Amon Ross St. Brown against Colorado. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um so okay, so you you will take the under on 173 uh, just, and a half, which it's locks just me into the over.
4: Too high of a
3: line. I'm taking that under, yeah. Okay. What's your next line?
4: All right, I'm going 14.5 rushes for Austin Jones in this game. USC's backup running back. Travis Dye obviously injured. Um, he was averaging 88.4 yards per game on 14.5 rushes per game this year. He had several games where he was uh, above 20, but in mm-hmm. general, he's sort of been in that lower lower realm. Austin Jones had a season-high carry uh, of 12 against Fresno State. He had 11 um. After Dye went out against Colorado. So do we think that Lincoln Riley is going to just transition to, well, Austin Jones is the new guy. And so he's going to get the the carries that Travis Dye would have gotten. Um, uh, or do we think that this will be a true mix and match between the three? Jones, Riley Brown, and Darwin Barlow? Do we think USC will just choose not to run in general? Mm-hmm. Um Lots of questions around the usage of Austin Jones in this game. So 14.5 rushes, that's uh, carries for Austin Jones.
3: So we think that the game that's most comparable to this one is going to be the Utah game, right? Yes. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, In the Utah game, Travis Dye carried the ball 11 times. And that was with Travis Dye being the undisputed number one. He had 11 carries in that game. There's no way Austin Jones gets more than 14 and a half. Considering okay. that he's gonna be splitting with really Brown, um, potentially Darwin Barlow getting some carries in there too. I think this is an under for sure.
4: I have
3: a there you go suspicion all in on the run?
4: that because Travis died, like I, I think I I'm split because I, I agree with you that like my instinct says that Clancy Pendergast will decide he's just gonna not let USC run the ball at all because that's we've yeah. seen him do that. Uh, but at the same time, like without Travis Dye, I think there might be like a little bit of mind game going on where USC ends up running the ball more because UCLA is not is is not expecting that or not putting the uh, assets behind I, stopping it.
3: I go back to Clancy more than anything is going to probably take that away. And if Lincoln is already leaning pass heavy, like we've seen in the second yeah. half of the season, then Clancy doing that, it's very easy for Lincoln Riley to be like, well, then okay, then all right. Yeah well we'll see and
4: we'll weird, then we'll pass them mind games are weird in college football so
3: yeah th- they are for sure uh my next one is over under 90.5 relique brown yards from scrimmage he had a career high 90 last week against colorado 76 uh in the season opener against rice trojans will not have travis die um and brown is expected to sort of carry the workload um in the the backfield with Austin Jones 90 and a half yards from scrimmage this is not rushing yards this is yards from scrimmage not all purpose yards yards from scrimmage so this is rushes rushing yards plus receiving yards that's it yeah i
4: i my instinct is to take the under here so i'm going to take the under okay um it's really about the, my sense that Relique Brown doesn't have the full-blown trust of the coaching staff yet. Okay. Um, there are too many athletes in this offense who will have opportunities to touch the ball and gain yards and, and all of that, especially if Mario Williams is back. Um, I think it's just like – I think really again, it's like with Bobo and Charbonnet. Like Relique Brown can have a good game and an impact on this game. While still having 75, 75 yards, um, I don't think he's going to suddenly be given the keys to the to the car. That's that's sort of my sense.
3: You you want a um, thought process of, of this one? I, I think the, as a barometer, if that overhits, that is a insanely good thing for Sa. Absolutely, yes. if Relique Brown gets like over a hundred yards from scrimmage, something very has gone right. Good happens. Yes. I think. Yeah. Uh, What's what's your last one?
4: Okay. My last one is related to punts. Okay. Punting. Punting is winning, as uh, Rick Neuheisel said, except in this case, I think punting is absolutely losing. I think the offenses are going to go off in this. So I'm setting (laughs) a line around total punts. Okay. Total punts. And I'm changing it in the middle of, of this statement. Because I'm a, I'm dumb. Over under 2.5 punts between both teams. UCLA, five punts. UCLA is averaging 1.9 punts per game. Mm-hmm. But in their last two games they've had two punts total. <laughs> and USC had like five punts against Oregon State. So their, their punt total for the year, they're averaging 2.5. But like they don't punt the ball very often. It just doesn't happen. So 2.5 total punts in this game. Uh, UCLA and Oregon had one punt combined in their game. This so, is
3: this might be the hardest line we've ever had in this it's, game. It's rough. I am going to take the over. Okay, that's fair. Strictly because all you need is three. And this kind and of game often – The, the SC Utah game had four. Yeah. So my thought is the team. This game could end up being so explosive that there might be more drives because there's fewer methodical drives that take up time. Yeah, and and more drives means more opportunities for a punt.
4: Yeah, and my hesitance over this over setting this line. I had it at three point five. I changed it to two point five. I just I went back and forth is that a lot of times the games that we come in thinking they're going to be offensive like barn burners that are just going to be offensive explosions. Right. For some reason, like those they are the games that end up being tense and everyone's tight and maybe tr- the offenses are, are trying too hard. And so then it leads to those kinds of mistakes that cause, you know, an offense, an explosive offense to end up with punts. So, yeah, it well, could, be a, could be an interesting one.
3: I- I'm pulling up the game book from the Oregon-Washington game last week. That was a game in which there was um 71 combined points. Extremely tense from the from the first snap of that game. How many punts do you think were in that one? Four. One. Yeah. Uh-huh. There one you punt. go. There you go. One punt. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying.
4: All right. The, maybe oh, maybe I might the, regret. The impetus for this uh for this question. Was um, I think it was Jake who pointed it out that on, only
3: only four Pac-12 punters have are qualified. Are even
4: qualified? Like yes. it's insane that USC and UCLA neither of their punters are qualified for the statistics of, of punting. Yes, uh, in the comp like the the Pac-12 has has completely rejected the idea of punting this
3: year. The Pac-12 is the Big 12 this year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last over under for me is 1.75. 1.75. Over under 1.75. Tuli two to a tackles for loss. We know that he's the nation's sack leader. He's no longer the nation's tackle for loss leader, even though I have 17.5 tackles for loss this season. And he's among uh, the leaders there. He had two tackles for loss in each of his two and a half tackles for loss in each of his last two games against Cal and Colorado this year. So far, there have only been five games, only been five. So half the time he's gotten this over half the time. He's not the ones he didn't rice. He had zero Oregon state. He had one ASU one and a half Utah, zero Arizona, zero Tully tends to sort of get his tackles for losses in bunches. And as part of a pass rush, um, the, the Stanford game, he had three non-sack tackles for losses, sort of the only time that he's really got them in in a rush defense-heavy game. Did have a season-high four tackles for loss against a dual-threat quarterback, including three sacks against Cameron Ward against Washington State. So he can get a dual-threat guy, uh, but Wazoo is also one of the worst teams in the country at allowing sacks. So will uh, will he get in the backfield to wreck havoc 1.75 over under.
4: So UCLA has given up 14 sacks this year. Mm-hmm. Um, my instinct says under I'm going under, I'm taking the reverse psychology route here. I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with it. I just think back to the Utah game. And the Arizona game. And those are the quarterbacks that are closest to what DTR does. Yes. And um, I am not sure that um, mm, UCLA has given up 42 tackles for loss this
3: year, though. Yeah, but they're only 16th in the country in terms of tackles for loss allowed
0: per game. Okay.
4: Yeah. I just don't see a lot of uh, like you said, I don't see a lot of rushing tackles for loss um in this game from USC. I uh I think that it, it would have to come from Sacks and we've seen Thule not be able to not be able to get two guys like uh like Cam rising and Jaden Delora. And so I'm just gonna go with the under. I think I think it, my likelihood here is that he'll get one, but not two. So I'll go with that.
3: Yeah, this to me is another barometer. Yes. If, if the overhits... You're feeling good. Yes. Yeah. Um, if the overhits, th- that is a big sign that things went very well for USC. Uh, that is the over-under. Let's get into game predictions. Bill Colley's metrics have the Trojans with only a 49% win probability because the score is 35-34 uh, in favor of the Bruins. I think it's literally like a half point or something that, that separates the two. It's It's insane. Vegas... Uh, currently, as and as of Wednesday when we did this this rundown, as the Trojans as one and a half point road favorites, they opened up as two and a half point favorites. Uh, the over under currently sits at seventy five and a half. Opened up at seventy seven. Alicia, what is your prediction?
4: I am going USC 65, UCLA 62. I think this game is such a 50-50 shot. This is such a 50-50 matchup that I am predicting overtime and uh, maybe two rounds of overtime well, to get two,
3: up to two rounds. I think we go to the, the, the two point conversions. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, so yeah, 65, 62. I think there's a very good chance that I'm very wrong about this game in terms of, like I said before, you know, Bill Connolly's numbers at 35-34. I could very much see that happening in that weird freak way that the, the big offensive matchups don't score as much as many points as you think. I also have too yeah, much respect.
3: 35-34, not scoring as much as you think.
4: Well, no, I mean. I, I know what you mean. Though. Yeah.
3: I know what you yeah,
4: mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also have too much respect for Caleb Williams and DTR and Zach Charbonnet and Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly and all these offensive minds. That uh, I'm going high scoring and I'm going overtime because of it. Like I think, I think there's a chance that you know regulation ends at 35-35 and then it just goes on forever in overtime. It's really but the hard. overtime
3: rules don't exist that way anymore. They let
4: you because you. go, oh, do you go to the like shootout back and forth? It's one. It's one I overtime, just, and then and then the second you just have to start going for two point conversions. You still have to score touchdowns.
3: Yeah, but they're only gonna score you two points right no 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 you have to score
4: you have to score a touchdown and go for the two-point conversion in the second overtime
3: yes but then after that it's two-point conversion i
4: don't know what happens in the third overtime but
3: that's what i'm saying like you're not going to be able to win by three with all those overtimes see what i'm saying
4: i do score predictions are dumb and i don't know how you're getting to 65 62 in any case so i don't even know um Maybe right. you get to second overtime and USC kicks a field goal to win. I don't know. It. It. Whatever. Whatever.
3: All right. My my score prediction. Before I give this, I I think this game is going to come down to the big moments. We talked about it before. Um, I I there's two games that I think that this will be similar to. My score is going to end up looking a lot like the. 2017 Rose Bowl, because I think this game feels like that in a lot of senses. Mm -hmm. Number two, I very much think this could be like the Oregon game, Um, UCLA and Oregon. That was a game that went back and forth. The difference was Oregon stole a possession, won the middle middle eight, and completely separated in a game in which they were going tit for tat. And when you do those little things, they can mean so much in a game of this magnitude. So who do I trust to get a turnover or to get that extra field goal stop? I think I trust SC to get that. Um, and so I have SC winning this 52-48. But, man, it, is, it easily could go either way. I think SC playing UCLA after the Arizona game makes them even more dangerous. And um, if it's anything like any of these predictions, it's going to be a game you're going to remember the rest of your life.
4: Mm-hmm. I personally like uh, Kenny uh, from THT in the chat giving a score prediction of 17 to 14. <laughs> you never know. That would be hilariously fun
1: yes,
4: you know, in would. a not fun way.
3: It would be it would be so fitting because the, I, the the we went into the Utah game and we at least I argued it would be a low scoring game. Yeah, I I thought that you know this is going to be a low scoring game and then it ended up completely blowing up. So yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to the mailbag. Open up the questions uh, in our mailbag. Uh, we start with a message we got from um, Pacific Northwest Church. We got a bunch of them uh, the other day that says. Now that Alicia's guy dies out, who are the candidates to win her affections? Is Team Bay?
4: Hmm. No one has the mustache quite like uh, quite like Travis guy. He's just like memorable. Um, I, I might be Eric Gentry. Um, he's got to get on the field. He's yeah. got to get on the field. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see. I I, I think that has to come co- like come to me. In a in in the moment,
3: right. no. Uh, next question. Let's say that you could pick either Austin Jones or Leek Brown to have 150 yards from scrimmage on Saturday. Who do you pick? Which one would be a better sign for SC? Really Brown. Yeah, I think so too. Because
4: if Really Brown is getting 150 yards from scrimmage, he's breaking some long ones. Because he's not a grind him out back who's going to get that on. You know, I think I think Austin Jones needs needs 20 carries to get that. I think counterpoint. Relique,
3: not, not, not to get you off here, but counterpoint: Would it say more about how the game goes if it's Austin Jones? Because that means he would have more success for longer. Because we assume that really Brown would have an explosive 150 mm. fo- yards versus Jones's methodical 150 yards. That's a fair. That's a fair counterpoint. I don't know. I, I yeah. think it's Brown, but just yeah. throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, Next one for you is, obviously, we want our Trojans to win on Saturday, says Pacific Northwest Trojan. And if that happens, is it better for UCLA to beat Cal the next week to make our win over the Bruins look better? Or do we root for the most hilarious outcome, which would be UCLA winning three in a row to end the regular season, earning a spot in a crappy bowl where they belong, not being motivated, and, and losing, thus ending with four straight losses? I think it's clear what I want. UCLA can eat its own butt forever.
4: <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Pacific Northwest Trojan. Uh, no, for me, it's it's UCLA beat Cal. You want, uh, you want USC to have as many ranked wins as possible at the end of the season. And really, it doesn't really matter what UCLA does at that point. The thing that will pain UCLA the most is USC going to the playoff and getting a chance to compete. So, yeah, I'll take that.
3: I want UCLA to beat Cal to stick it to the UC Regents.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: That's, that's That's uh fair enough. Uh Cameron says do you feel better or worse about playing UCLA after the loss to Arizona? Worse, I think. Now it's it's like a beehive that's like riled up.
4: Yeah, I I it it actually doesn't change for me. I I think this was going to be a a riled up game either way and I mean, there's a universe where their confidence is shattered, and I think there's a universe where they come out and uh, and and try to prove themselves in a, in a whole other way. I, I think there's still so much that we cannot to I, figure out.
3: I, I just go back to UCLA. No showed the Arizona game, and you can say that the no showed this Alabama game, but I can't. So we can talk about them having a no show problem. I can't fathom they would no show a top ten SC team coming into really? to. Their house,
4: yeah, it's the rivalry. You know
3: what I mean? Like, I just—if this doesn't get you up for it, then what would? That's that's what my thought is. Uh, Cameron says, "Do you think there will be more USC fans than UCLA? Not if the distribution is what it is.
4: <laughs> no, that's and that's but, not a reflection. I think USC fans will get their hands on tickets. Yes, but
3: 100 uh, like people are going to be buying their way in yeah. for sure. But the the distribution is certainly going to help UCLA out, um, which is why they do that. Josh says, "How big of a picture of Caleb Williams do you ha- think DTR has in his locker?" Um, it
4: it it's one of those ones that takes up the whole door.
3: Did you have a like a what what do you do in your locker in, in like high school? I um, or did your like fancy private school not have lockers? You had like <laughs> you each got like a, your own personal <laughs> study room or something?
4: No, we had lockers. Um. I want to say I put stuff up at, at one point, but I, I'm also just straight up lazy.
3: So I think most of the time I just... You didn't, didn't. buy like the racks to like stack I, your stuff in? I
4: had had I had I had one of those little shelf things so that I could stack. And then I had on the door, I think I had like some magnets and like a mirror or something like that. But I don't remember like, it wasn't a lot. It was just like one of those generic things you pick up at Target when you're there.
3: Were you a, a paper book cover? A cloth book cover or a sticky book cover person
4: i was a cloth book cover person in high school hmm.
3: they, they they really in, came uh, around when we were like in middle school i think they, yeah they
4: like, in middle school i think is when we transitioned to like the cloth ones because they were just so much easier yeah my problem with the paper ones is that like i can be neurotic and like if they weren't folded perfectly if it wasn't perfect it just like it annoyed the crap out of me so as soon as the paper the the, they had the the highest
3: ceiling but the lowest oh when
4: they were clean they were clean but like the effort that i had to put in to get it that way and then the the just pain i felt if it was just not perfect it's you know yeah
3: I raw dog today. I like my books naked. Uh, Eric says, uh, which position group do you think needs to step up? The most easy answer for me is linebackers. Even if Eric Gentry is playing, Eric, you answered your own question, bud. That That's it.
4: Linebackers. And I will give a, a little dark horse to receivers in the sense that in this game, you cannot afford to drop the ball. If the ball is there for you to catch it, you have to catch it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. FC has had a drop problem this year so far. Yeah. Um, Taj Washington has done it. Brendan Rice has done it. Um, you, you've got to avoid those. Yeah. Uh, Touchdown USC says, what is UCLA going to do with CD when the Big Ten teams come to visit? I, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens with, with the Tarps. Also, I met at myself. I, I prepared to say that UCLA was going from a trap game to a tarp game. And I completely botched that joke somewhere along. You the
4: got all your tarp jokes in when we were on the What's Bruin show I know. Uh, last night. But uh, sorry, the What's Bruin symposium. But yeah, uh, the it's a symposium. This is symposium, yes. Yeah. Um. The uh. The tarp thing, though, it's like if UCLA had better overall attendance for a consistent period of time, like they wouldn't need the tarps. Like yeah. that. That is a function the- of ten years of. Futility.
3: The irony for me about this is like I grew up with he having the tarps. Yeah. So like, it, it Yeah, but that. But around, why? Because around.
4: when you have years of futility, you start right. to pull the tarps.
3: Yeah. Um. This is the huge doctors of USC. Tarps. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Josh says, uh, "Is that a rod hat? Where can I buy one?" Yes, that is a rod hat. We have a. Uh, there's a fan sided swag shop. Um, at some point, we'll throw the link in the uh, description um, of the episode, and then you guys can uh, check out what we got in there. I don't know if it's still in there or not, but if it is, go check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, SJ says, who would win the Battle of Oklahoma transfers, Caleb Williams or Troy Aikman? That would be fun. That would be fun. The
4: answer is like purely from right now in, in 2022, it's,
3: it's Caleb Williams. Uh, but uh, we'll see historically the irony of this of course is that Troy Aikman um, never beat SC yeah
2: yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, you hope that Caleb Williams can beat UCLA uh, Eric says which team has the edge in red zone scoring and defending the red zone uh, SC does but slightly it's not yeah overly overwhelming I mean it's, it's strictly conversions, red zone defense conversions. SC is 18th, UCLA is 121st. But again, when you talk about TD rate, uh, it, it's super close, 64% to 67%. That's basically the same.
4: Yeah, it, it's 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 so close, like everything else in this game, that statistically it's not a predictor of how the red zone conversions are going to go. So,
3: yeah. Uh, Eric says, uh, do you have any stat that spoke to how each team performs? i.e. wins versus losses when we're on a Fox broadcast. I I haven't thought about it. We we should like come up with splits of like sc PS- and cardinal and gold sc, SC, SC and um, on
4: espn SC- at
3: 5 p.m
4: well okay so uh the usc media guide has a lot of those sort of weird like usc yes. in the rain or usc in the snow or sc's USC- only
3: losses there was on big fox
4: yes i don't
3: know but that. so were ucla's both losses were on big fox there you go so it's a big fox battle it's clearly the problem is big fox yeah uh, Cameron says over and under two and a half rushing TDs combined by the running backs. combined as in the SC running backs or all told, because if it's all told, I'm taking the over pick if you get Zach Charbonnet in there.
4: And if it's just USC, I'm taking the under pick yeah. if it's not Zach Charbonnet in there.
3: Yes, I, I agree because yeah. Travis Dyer was someone who could just eat inside the, uh, the five yard line. Yeah. Um, Eddie says, what's the scoop on the backup? Where did he come from? What high school?
4: Uh, he's talking about Austin Jones, and uh, he came from Stanford. I don't know if he was a uh, a, a NorCal guy specifically. I'm I'm pulling um,
3: it
4: up. Yeah, I'll just keep talking. Austin uh, Jones uh,
3: from he was, Antioch, from Bishop O'Dowd.
4: Yeah, so he was a, he was sort of a, a NorCal guy, Bishop O'Dowd, uh, which
3: means he was a J T uh, teammate.
4: Yeah, yeah, and uh, and he had a a pretty decent career at, at Stanford. At least he was. Um, Oh, I pulled up. Austin, he was um,
3: Jordan, I Austin. believe, the scoring leader in the 2020 COVID season. Touchdown scoring leader in the back row.
4: Yeah, he had uh, he was team best 100 107 carries for two touchdowns. Uh, in uh, with seven starts as a junior in 2021,
3: uh, he had 32 passes caught for 265 yards. And a touchdown. You know who the top two scorers in the Pac-12 were in 2020? Who? Number one, Austin Jones. Number two, Parker Lewis. Ha! Huh.
4: Yeah, he was a uh, All-Pac-12 Honorable Mention and Phil Steele All-Pac-12 Third Team um, uh, in 2020 as a sophomore, and he was Stanford's Desuarte Eller Award winner for Most Outstanding Sophomore with a team-high
3: 550 yards. Number five in scoring in the Pac-12 was a tie between Amonarasi Brown and um, Jamar Jefferson, of course, of the two-time state champion, Mm -hmm. Narbonne. Go Gauchos. Uh, Steven says, name one player from each side, offense and defense, that will be the difference maker for SC on Saturday night.
4: Uh, Caleb Williams on offense and on defense, I am going to say...
3: Uh, gonna, if it's Thule, it's a good thing. Well, I,
4: that's what I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think like if it's Thule, it's a good thing. If it's Eric Gentry, it's a good thing. Um, if it's Kalen Bullock, it's a really good thing.
3: If it's Makai Blackman, it's, that means it's probably a good thing because he probably had a good game against Bobo. Yeah. If anything, yeah. Even though again, I think Bobo, if he's inside, is, is he even going to be going up against?
4: I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Eric Gentry. I'm feeling. Feeling bold.
3: Ooh. Yeah, we don't even know if Gentry's playing. She's taking Gentry. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard says, do you think they'll ever move the Heisman out to after the bowls and playoff? As the playoff gets bigger, it seems like the award um, that it might be awarded prematurely. This is interesting. I because you do end up with like the Heisman winner and then they go to the playoff and then they disappoint. And then people feel like, Oh, well it was the wrong decision or whatever.
4: Yeah. I, I sort of get the feeling that the Heisman likes being that sort of early December um, in between the, the start of bowl season, like getting that platform. But I would agree. I think they should award that uh, after, after the playoff personally. Yeah, I, I also think they should give Reggie Bush's Heisman back, and they don't listen to me on that either. So <laughs> Well,
3: yes, I'm a big believer in playoff MVPs and rather than playoff series MVPs. Like I like how the, the NHL does the con Smythe. So I think they should they should make a new award that is like the playoff MVP? Yes, but it's like of the playoff, not just the final game, but like of the playoff. I like that. And especially when you get to the twelve team, like that'll be like a new award. Yeah. it'll be like the um, uh, like well, the Zeke Elliott award because that one year that he and Cardell Jones went crazy, right? What's
4: What's the one that um, Sam Darnold won after the Rose Bowl, which was sort of billed as the as the we're the one that takes into account the postseason? Uh, yeah
3: I, I don't I don't remember what it was. Yeah, the Manning Award? Maybe no, no. Know. something um yeah but it, it's a good it's a good thought Richard it, it really is um Eric says uh this is to me saw so the tweet about my dog who wants to know what breed she is she is a we think she's just a border collie I she's, think she's a border collie husky mix
4: she's very much a border collie whether or not there is mixture of something else a little with a border collie is up for debate but it's like her coloring is classic border collie the only thing yes. that like sets her apart is she has these icy blue eyes um yeah. our current plan and she has is- a,
3: a tail that curls a little up like a husky
4: yeah uh, it, she's her hair is shorter it's not as her her coat is not as thick as as a lot of border collies that i have seen but um, yeah, I don't know. We our plan is to uh bring her on the show on Saturday.
3: Yeah. So. she'll she'll be she'll be here Saturday because uh we'll have family here. Um they'll be in the other room while we record the uh the the car cast after the UCLA game, which means that um she won't be in the crate, so we can easily go get her. Yeah. Uh because if we go get her now, we gotta get her out of the crate and it's uh it's an ordeal. Um and
4: yes, Eric, she is a shedder. And she's beautiful. She's
3: beautiful. Yes. yes. Uh, Josh says, say USC loses the next two games. What bowl is SC going to? Okay. So here's the thing. SC is going to be seven and two. If that if that, if SC loses on Saturday, they eight and two, no, there will be seven and two in conference. Oh, there'll okay. be seven and two in conference, which guarantees that they finish no worse than tied, tied for second. The way the bowls work is not how the standings work. The way the Bulls work is all the ties are on the same level. So it's up to the Bulls to decide. So I think that would mean that more likely than not, it would be the Alamo Bowl because they would have the top pick. And I think SC is the most attractive pick out of all of the 7-2 and teams considering utah has been there in the past uh oregon has been there in the past um yeah, ucla want, has been there before you want caleb williams on your i think they might take sc sc's never been to the alamo bowl uh that would make the most sense the worst case scenario is everyone denies sc and sc falls to the holiday bowl which no one wants yep uh randy do you think david billy will be the next stanford transfer oh. who knows i think there could be a huge mass exodus up at, palo alto for sure
4: usc fans everywhere should be praying and hoping that uh david bailey recognizes that he could come to usc and be a, an immediate starter and an immediate star and basically save the usc defense single-handedly that's my opinion on that yeah
3: kyle says reggie has his Wendy sandwich back isn't that enough can we talk <laughs> about the, the commercials they're great i Think it is incredible how much better college football adjacent commercials are than anything else. Yes, the Heisman House commercials. Heisman House is good. They're all good. Dr. They're Pepper, all legitimately good.
4: Fansville. Fansville is- commercials. Top a top plus. tier, better than any, the, better the, than any Super Bowl commercials. The, the
3: one where they bring in Bryce Young and it's got like the whole like uh, uh, the, mm,
4: the mom, my, my uh, oh, I, the, oh he, my they're God. my parents now. Like also Bryce Young, very Chef, very yes. good in those
3: commercials. Like, yes, and then Reggie is like infectious and charismatic as hell in all the the Wendy's commercials. Yeah, the the only the only Wendy's commercial that I thought was a disappointment is the one where like it's workaholic linerd where he's like outside working and not doing the other stuff like yeah but even then like you're it's allowed one dud yeah so uh eric in the chat says uh, the archie griffin winner there we go that's correct sam darnold yeah. won the archie griffin award all right we've got nearly 2 hours this is the, long, the yeah. longest episode i of mean all time.
4: it's it's the ucla preview episode uh yes. so the, the if we were going to go big this was going to be the one that we we're going to go big on and yes, we're going to okay. go big on the uh on the car cast,
3: um, yeah. Could you get us win the or pup. lose? You're win or lose? The,
4: yeah. uh, the pup will be here to make us all feel better in the worst case, and we'll celebrate with uh, with a little with little Jesse um, if if things go well.
3: So. All right, uh, we will uh, end it there. SC and UCLA Saturday night, 5 p.m. Gus Johnson, Joel Clad on the call on Big Fox. It's going to be a hell of a game and then right after we'll be here live on youtube to talk about it digest it figure out what the hell happened
4: you're gonna to want to listen to that one
3: yes absolutely so uh thanks for listening as always you guys are awesome make sure that uh, on your way out that you like and subscribe if you're here on youtube if you're following us on spotify and uh apple Podcasts, that you subscribe to us there leave us a review and all of that uh we couldn't do this without you and uh we'll be back when we see you until then,
0: see you. See you.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.